Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, John Paulson. I, of course, am fresh off the hills of vacation. Paulson, you are fresh off the hills of one of the most popular podcasts of the entire offseason, where you and Matt Harmon sit down in the last episode and discuss the wide receiver surface rankings overall but today is a very important day because you and i are having our own wide receiver ranking summit for everyone yeah i think i was cheating a little bit last week picking the brain of matt Harmon, who studies the position as much as anyone so it's always one of our most popular podcasts having him on because he and i got to go through the whole position and uh talk talk about all the values and people maybe that are being overdrafted so i hope you had a good vacation but i'm looking forward to to talking some uh, receivers today and we will do the same today just that not sure how long this one's gonna go it's gonna be interesting to see where we move along and discuss each tier before we begin though because we have a lot to discuss, I quickly want to remind everyone that everything we're talking about today is in our rankings via your projections. And I'll I'll refute from time to time, give you my takes as well. But you can access those rankings by using the promo code 44Underdog and depositing $10 as a first-time user. That is how you can get a free pro subscription to your projections, to my team previews that are still ongoing, to our underdog top 250 for tournaments only, for basically everything that's happening behind the scenes right now. Yes, the early bird discount at 444 is happening, but again, underdog, promo code 444, that is the best route to do so right now, especially before August First, having said that, though, Paulson, I want to start at the top of the wide receivers list, and I don't think there is much contemplation here. I don't think there's much to discuss because everyone knows who is good and who are the best wide receivers in fantasy football. But I would love for you to tear off for me your top options with the assumption and the knowledge that the top tier means that any of the players you are about to mention, whether it be your top three, top four, or top five, do have a range of outcomes to finish as the overall wide receiver one in fantasy this year. Okay, uh, with that caveat, I think I would probably go uh, with Cup. I mean, I have it in half PPR. Cup, Jefferson, Chase, Adams, Diggs, Lamb. And I I wouldn't be surprised if any of those players finish one overall. Um, And then you're getting into Mike Evans, Debo Samuel. I think they're pretty safe picks at seven and eight. And then I think... uh, as far as the early round picks, Tyree kills a little bit at nine. That's where you start to getting into a little bit of a, maybe of a risk um, because he's changing teams. I, I'm not too worried about it, but you're going from Patrick Mahomes to to a Tungavaloya, new offense, new role, doing some different things. So I feel real comfortable about those first eight. Um, and then you start getting into a little bit, oh, I don't know if, if this guy is going to do exactly what I'm expecting from him uh, with Tyreek Hill. So to be clear, you have Devontae Adams, you said CeeDee Lamb, Tyreek Hill. Did you mention Mike Evans? I did. He's at seven. Okay. Um, and those players you actually think could finish as the wide receiver one in fantasy over the only three that are typically mentioned in Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. Yeah, I mean, when you say could finish wide receiver one, it would require require some things happening. I mean, Cup would have to miss a couple games due to injury or something else. You know, I think the the three with the strongest uh, chance are Cup, Jefferson, and Chase. And then, you know, Adams, Diggs, and Lamb, I think, are the next tier. Maybe you can put Evans and Sam Debo on that list. Those, I think those guys 
could all potentially finish number one fantasy overall. I don't, I don't think it would be shocking um, to anyone. It just would require some things happening above them where, you know, Cooper cup has a, a setback of some sort, Justin Jefferson, uh, something happens to Kirk cousins, you know, like some things could happen with injuries that would throw some of these seasons off. I still want to, Definitely lob Stefan Diggs out there as my favorite among the bunch. Like I still have Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson ranked respectfully. Jamar Chase after him. But like if I ended up drafting or if someone drafted Diggs over Chase, that wouldn't be shocking at all. Diggs is a top five receiver. That wouldn't be shocking at all, especially because we've seen Gabriel Davis's ADP get steamed over the past couple weeks. And I just want to remind everyone, I went on this spiel in one of our first podcasts together, but I want to remind everyone about Diggs' situation in that offense and that two years ago, his first year in Buffalo, he was a mid-fifth round pick and actually led the league in targets, catches, and receiving yard as the wide receiver three in fantasy points per game from Josh Allen. And so then the next year, because we do this every year, we draft last year's stats, he was then improperly overdrafted in the mid-first to sustain that otherworldly unsustainable production. But last year what we saw was that even though the production wasn't there, and being the wide receiver 10 in fantasy points per game, the opportunity, the volume, was actually even better last year. Um, considering his first year, 9% of his targets went 20-plus yards downfield, for example, whereas that number bumped up to 17%. Also still averaged 9.7 targets per game, and he led the league at end zone targets with 22. And so, although the results didn't follow, we got all the opportunity that we wanted. So like, it doesn't make sense at all that everyone's bumping him down as the wide receiver five or six when wide receiver one and 1,600 receiving yards is absolutely in his range of outcomes. So I do love Stephon Diggs. The only one you mentioned that I don't have in my top tier of wide receivers is CeeDee Lamb. And I maybe should, especially given that we know how much talent they lost most importantly on the defensive side of the ball, also led the league, the Cowboys, in turnovers last year, a number that is not sticky annually. And so we expect more volume and their foot on the gas at all times because I genuinely just don't think they're as good of a team and they'll be forced to throw more and losing a lot of explosiveness from last year, Cedric Wilson and Amari Cooper included. So can you sell me on... CD Lamb, like what is your what do your notes say? You also just produced your terrific 99 stats article. Like, can you go in depth on CD Lamb for me? Because I'm open-ended. I'm very open to the idea of putting him in the top tier. Yeah, and I would um add that if you're on the fence with Lamb, you know, go back to listen to Matt Harmon talk about him. He's really high on his route running as well. So that that's another thing. Like talking with Matt about that one of those things you want to be able to do is maybe find a guy in the second or third round that can produce at a, at a first round type level so that you're able to take a couple of stud running backs or at least one stud running back at the start of your draft and still get that wide receiver production that you're looking for. And I think Lamb has that sort of uh, upside. Now, I think he's going mid to late second round, so he's not maybe as good of a value as a Michael Pittman who might you know, might be at the same sort of upside as Lamb does uh, playing with Matt Ryan now in Indianapolis and a similar uh, in terms of route running is similar quality. Uh, but for Lamb, you know, Mari Cooper leaving uh, opens up the, the number one role. Uh, and he might have already been ready to take over that number one role anyway. Um, they lost Cedric Wilson as well. They're bringing in James Washington and Jalen Tolbert and Michael Gallup. But Michael Gallup, 
I mean, they didn't bring in Michael Gallup, but they resigned him and he's, he's injured right now and is going to probably miss a few games at the start of the season. So I think lamb goes in with a really high target floor. Um, he's one of 32 receivers in the Super Bowl area era to gain at least 2000 combined receiving yards in his first two seasons. So even, even if we kind of look at him and we're a little disappointed maybe with the splash that he made, you know, in his first two years, he's actually been really productive. I just think that he's been surrounded by a lot of talent, uh, in that offense. And maybe that's suppressed his target numbers a little bit. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Cooper's gone. Uh, he, he charted very well in reception perception. And, and Harmon even added that he's a dark horse candidate to lead the league in targets. Uh, and I think we chatted on Twitter as well, uh, looking at the odds for leaving, leading the league in receiving yards. Uh, he had, you know, he was down the list a little bit, like 10 or 12 receivers down the list in terms of odds, which looked pretty appealing to me, given the fact that his role is upgraded. He's got a good quarterback in Dak Prescott. And as you mentioned, the Dallas defense, you know, overplayed last year. I mean, they were well above expectation in terms of how well they played. If they regress at all, then this offense could be even more pass happy than it already was. And if you look at the second half of last season, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard, their touches were down. They were very high in a neutral pass rate second half of last season. I don't know how much of that was by design or how much of it was just you know, the course of the games or how things were going, but, you know, it looks like they want to throw and, uh, you know, you've got a nice connection there between Prescott and Lamb. Pardon me for not seeing the conversation on Twitter. Not only was I in the mountains, the Canadian Rockies <laughs> with that reception for three days, but the first time I logged back on and turned on my phone around Lake Moraine, when I got down back onto ground level, I saw just another fantasy football thread and I immediately logged <laughs> off again. I was like, Oh, I, I didn't miss a thing, apparently. I was going to say, did you log on and see 10 threads? Uh, Buddy, 10, don't, don't get me started. Like, especially, as you know, when you come back from vacation, you're at peace of mind. And like you rethink your life in the world. And then you get back on, just nothing has changed in the world. It's like, God, what? I'm going back up and retiring in the, in the logs again. Um, I also want to quickly note on Mike Evans, as Russell Gage's ADP has been steamed to above Tyler Lockett and around Adam Thielen range, I don't want anyone to forget about Mike Evans. That's why he's also in my first tier of wide receivers because we want to bet on talent. And I'm not saying Russell Gage is not talented. I think he can get there as he did last year if he's pummeled volume in place of Chris Godwin. But if you ask, let's say Chris Godwin returns after the first month and takes back his starting slot role, you ask like who then leads the team in targets. It's obviously Mike Evans. And the fact that in the playoffs last year without Mike Evans and Gronk, they were willing to move Evans, who remember historically has a very poor success rate, very poor receiving yards per game against shadow coverage in particular. He's never actually such as such an elite Hall of Fame wide receiver. He's never been able to separate himself when locked down man to man. But last year they said, okay, well, screw it in the playoffs. We're going to force you into the slot for 28% of your routes and then force feed you 10 targets per game to get you the ball no matter what. And so that gives Evans the most talented player on the team, a higher floor as well. And so that's why I think uh, we should be higher on Evans. It's like a top six wide receiver, top seven with CeeDee Lamb as well. Moving on, though, I'm curious to get your thoughts on rounding out, let's say through the top 15, because this is really where it becomes dicey and prone to subjectiveness. Yeah, and I think, just apologize for my dog barking, I think he's a big Mike Evans fan as well. Um, yeah, as you get into this next group, and it, 
and I noticed this as I was doing the rankings, is that there's a lot of variation amongst different rankers. And uh, when you get outside of maybe the top eight or nine receivers, and I think there are a lot of really talented players in here. And there's some guys that are going that I like quite a bit that are going, you know, fifth round. Uh, I'm talking about Deontay Johnson, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, DJ Moore, who just got a quarterback upgrade. Uh, and I'm, and there's players that they are maybe going behind in drafts that are, you know, have some worries to me. Um, a little bit of worry anyway. Um, like AJ Brown going to a new offense that has been previously run heavy. And I know they were run heavy in Tennessee, but with Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard there, we're just not exactly sure what AJ Brown's role is going to be. He's very talented. Um, but I don't know if the volume is going to be there to support his ADP. Um, so there's some, there's some, uh, the order, I guess, in this next wide receiver two, or maybe when you get outside the, the top nine or so receivers, it starts to get some variation. And I think that as a drafter, if you like a Deontay Johnson or a Terry McLaurin or a Brandon Cooks over some of these players going ahead of those players, then you can wait on the position a little bit, grab one of those guys in the fifth round, or late fourth round, sixth round maybe with, with, with Cooks and really put together your receiving core uh, with some real world wide receiver ones uh, available in that four to six range. And that's been something that's, you know, over the last few years, as the league has gotten even more pass heavy, these guys going in the fourth to sixth round, we've had some real gems there. Like you mentioned, Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup came out of this range last year, and so did Jamar Chase. Um, so there's always a lot of talent here. And so trying to identify somebody maybe that, like a McLaurin who's getting a, a quarterback upgrade. A DJ Moore, who's getting a quarterback upgrade, uh, things are looking a little brighter for them. Maybe they are going from that 1,000 to 1,100-yard range up into the 12, 1,300, and maybe those tight end, or those touchdowns spike a little bit, and they go from four, say, for, for DJ Moore to an eight with Baker Mayfield at quarterback, and suddenly you've got a guy who should be going in the second round. Um, so for me, this is, this is the reason, with all this uncertainty in these wide receiver two ranks, it offers some uh, opportunity, I think, to grab one of these guys in the fifth round well after they should be going off the board. You just mentioned a handful of names, but are there particular players that stand out that you want to be ahead of consensus on? Let's say it comes back in the second or third round. You're at the end of drafts for everyone in redraft leagues. You're looking to get your second or third wide receiver, uh, and you don't need to reach that far for Brandon Cooks, knowing that he does go in rounds five through six usually, and in home leagues may even go in rounds seven through eight, given that there's no confidence in Davis Mills. So is there a player or a few players you are higher on than most, and you'd be willing to jump ADP to make sure you grab these receivers, knowing that they are jumbled up, and a lot of them have mostly quarterback question marks that we are concerned about? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the third round. I think Michael Pittman's a great pick there. I moved him up to 10. Um, not too, you know, recently in the last week or so, I moved him up to 10. I, mean, I have him right ahead, right ahead of Keenan Allen. I think that's a fair uh, place for him. I think fourth round is really a, a great spot to get like a DJ Moore, a Deontay Johnson, a, a Terry McLaurin. Uh, those guys, I think, are going in that range. Sometimes they're going in the early fifth. But like, so if you're trying to nab your top two receivers and you can get Pittman in the third and one of those guys in the fourth 
and you've already got two good running backs, or perhaps you go running back tight end uh, in the second round, you're off to a really good start because you're getting a couple of receivers that maybe should maybe should be going around earlier based on their uh, upside that I, at least that I'm perceiving. I do think like the T Higgins, Keenan Allen. I love AJ Brown. Of course, Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman doesn't seem like an obvious one. And I'm with you. I have him in my best ball tiers, the wide receiver 10 as well. He was actually the wide receiver seven in points per game through week nine. That's when Carson Wentz had a top six EPA before Wentz fell completely off the rails. And so we have seen a ceiling outcome for Pittman that he can actually be a top seven wideout with elite quarterback play. And outside of Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, of course, was the single biggest upgrade at any position for any team for the Colts. So I do love Pittman. Uh, For me, though, I think the steal of the century in home leagues is going to actually be Allen Robinson because we draft, everyone typically drafts via recency bias. And so... No one's going to be willing to just throw last year out the window, even though Robinson the past few years has averaged 9.4 targets per game. And the way he run routes, the way he was used last year for Chicago after two years of being disgruntled in the offseason because neither side could meet in the middle to reach a long-term agreement, it just doesn't make much sense to utilize last year's stats when it wasn't the Allen Robinson of old. Uh, Matt Harmon even said so when I spoke to him a couple months ago pre-draft. And now he gets to play that Odell Beckham role, assuming Beckham doesn't resign. That actually allowed Beckham to have seven end zone targets and five touchdowns as an inside the 10 monster over Cooper Cup uh, in the second half of the season. So knowing that everyone's just going to ignore Allen Robinson for his last year's stats, like that's the player I think everyone should be much higher on. And you could probably even get a discount on in the fourth or fifth round of home leagues. Yeah, and I would like to, I didn't mention Robinson, but I think he's a good one to point out as a very available in the fourth round. I mean, his ADP in best ball is 48. So you might be able to get him at that four or five turn or even into the mid fifth if he slips a little bit and you're adding him perhaps as your third receiver, that would be excellent. I, I think the the thing I was waiting on was to see what Harmon saw in his charting, and he did see a little bit of a downgrade for Robinson, but it was also he was really sort of upset with how the Bears were using uh, Allen Robinson and what sort of routes they had him running. It was ridiculously bad for his skill set. So you look at what the, the you know the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that we know that Cooper Cup is the number one receiver there, so you don't have that sort of giant target upside that you might have with a real world wide receiver one like Pittman or McLaurin or Deontay Johnson. But you still you're you're in one of the best passing games in the in the league, so having the number two receiver in that passing game is not bad. Um, and you look at what Robert Woods did prior to his injury. People think he was a disappointment last year because he was being outplayed so much by Cooper Cup and was drafted ahead of Cup, but he was the fantasy wide receiver 12 through week nine before his injury, his ACL injury. And then Odell Beckham came in and from week 12 to week 21, I'm sorry, from week 12 on, he was the wide receiver 21 down the stretch. So if you if you combine their stats and prorate it, they basically scored what Michael Pittman scored as last year's wide receiver 15. So that's what I think Robinson's certainly his upside might be even a little bit more than that, but that's sort of what we should be expecting on a, on a per game basis from, from Allen Robinson. He might miss a game or two and finish a little lower than that, but you know, he's going off the board wide receiver 23. Uh, I think I have him at 19. I mean, he's going behind Jerry Judy. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, Judy is fine as a player, but he's never 
performed anywhere near what Albert Robinson has performed from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, the quarterback situation is fairly similar between those two players. Uh, he's going behind Gabriel Davis, which I can't, I mean, I like Gabriel Davis to have a breakout season, but I can't support uh, Davis at his current ADP, which I think is 20 or 21. Um, so he should be going lower in my opinion. So there's a few players below him or going ahead of him that he should be going ahead of. And I would even say maybe Jalen Waddle is debatable. Cortland Sutton, I think should be going behind Allen Robinson. Um, so I think he is a good value and he's a good person to bring up, a good player to bring up, especially if you're like attacking these middle rounds and, and find, trying to find your receivers there, which is something I've been doing the last few years. I also want to know if we're discussing players who have flashed their ceilings in pockets, showing us, proving to us that they can be honestly like a top 10 wide receiver, Mike Williams as well, who whose ADP is already going fringe top 12 wide receiver, but I remember through week five before he suffered that knee injury, and maybe that's not the case. Maybe it's because of other reasons and Justin Herbert not being allowed to go downfield, which we expect him to be allowed to do more this year. But Mike Williams had a 25% target share, averaged five five more fantasy points per game in those first five weeks. And after that, he just basically became a boomer bust option in the second half of the season. But we, he did show us that ceiling he has if it all comes together for the first time in his career. Also, Marquise Brown, an entirely different offense. Everyone forgets that he was actually, before Lamar Jackson got injured in week nine, uh, Marquise Brown was actually the wide receiver six in fantasy points per game. So he did flash that he does have a top half wide receiver one ceiling, and now he gets to play with his old college teammate, who just last year, Kyler Murray, completed the league high 49% of his passes, 20 plus yards downfield, where Marquise Brown runs free and separates. So I do love Marquise Brown below ADP as well. You can get, like, we should reach for him, but even in reaching for him, no one in your league outside of like you know ffpc and underdog no one in home leagues is actually going to pretend to like see marquise brown ceiling people are still low on him so i do love being ahead on him to your point on the broncos wide receivers too uh it's the fact that jerry judy who has just three you wouldn't think so but just three top 24 finishes and 26 career games right the the issue is that he could he could be in two wide receiver sets but no one can guarantee it like, it could be Tim Patrick across from Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton, of course, who was just given a long-term extension uh, after Tim Patrick. Actually, they extended Tim Patrick first. And so I would imagine those two are actually the ones that are on the field and starting two wide sets with Jerry Judy from the slot. And so that's why, you know, Sutton's ADP has finally moved ahead of Judy's as it should have been this entire time. But that's why I'm a little lower on Jerry Judy in that range as well. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Uh, the Marquise Brown conversation is always interesting because, like, if DeAndre Hopkins wasn't coming back, you know, he'd be going quite a bit higher. He'd probably be going, you know, top 15 or even higher. Um, but with Hopkins sort of looming, and you just, he's never been one that really has played and not seen a ton of targets. So you wonder how the dynamic is going to be between. Brown, Hopkins, uh, Rondale Moore, and A.J. Green. I, I think probably, you know, A.J. Green and Rondale Moore sort of share that third receiver role. Um, but they also run a lot of four wide receiver sets, if I remember correctly, the Cardinals. So I just wonder how much of a hit Brown's targets will, will take when Hopkins returns. And so that's why I'm not drafting him as like a solid wide receiver, too. I've got him at 22 
right around DK Metcalf and Adam Thielen. Um, I'm pretty high on Thielen uh, given what's going on there. Uh, and then, the, and then the Denver thing, I think you're exactly right. The, the Judy, you're looking at Judy's snap shares so far, and they're just not there to support his ADP. I mean, he had a 65% snap share last year while both Patrick and uh, Sutton were well over 80%. So Patrick to me is the value. And I do think that Sutton should be going ahead of Judy. Now, it's a new regime. It's a new quarterback, a new offense. You know, we're designing it around Russell Wilson. So that sort of throws all the balls up in the air and maybe things change. Maybe they run more three receiver sets, although the Packers didn't run a ton of three, three receiver sets. Uh, maybe Judy plays 70, 75, 80% of the snaps, but we haven't seen it. You know, and he hasn't finished above wide receiver 67 in a per game average in his two, in his last two seasons. So like, you know, going ahead of Allen Robinson is just a non-starter for me. I've got, I've got Judy at wide receiver 35. And so his ADP is one that just, I don't even understand. I want you to round out your low end wide receiver twos for me, because that range is also, you know, you've already discussed a lot of guys, but that range with the the Darnell Moonies and terrible offensive situation, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, who we have questions about since TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift was banged up at the sec- at the end of the season, Judas Smith-Schuster in a log-jammed wide receiver core, Amari Cooper perhaps without Deshaun Watson. Like, there are just a lot of question marks as we get into the wide receivers, you know, 20 through 30 range. Yeah, and you're looking at guys that you're not 100% sure they're the number one receiver, or if they are, they, they're they in a terrible offense or they have quarterback questions, and this is what you're getting into. Um, however, there are some interesting plays, and I think you know Adam Thielen, last I saw, his ADP is like wide receiver 35. I'm looking now, it's 32, so it's come up a little bit, I think. Um, you know, He was a wide receiver, fantasy receiver seven, last year before his injury and yeah, he's getting a little older. He's 32 now, but the Vikings are supposed to throw the ball more this year than they did last year. And he's a touchdown maker. You know, everybody's waiting for his touchdowns to regress. They just haven't. So, you know, a real threat for 10 touchdowns plus, you know, playing second fiddle to to Justin Jefferson, isn't necessarily a bad thing for him. He's not going to see any double coverage. So I like him, you know, as a low-end wide receiver too. I like Mooney just from a volume standpoint. Like he's got one of the highest target floors of any of these guys going in this range because of what the Bears haven't done at the receiver position. They let Allen Robinson walk. They drafted Vilas Jones, who's 25. They brought in Byron Pringle. So Mooney should see 140, 150 targets easy. And even in a, in a low-efficiency setting, he's still going to be able to produce on that sort of workload. Uh, and he might take a step forward. You know, he's in his, what, his third season. Um, he might be taking a step forward in terms of his catch rate. You know, maybe Justin Fields gets a little bit better and, uh, you know, he'll be okay. Uh, I think he's a nice value there in the middle rounds as well. And then you're getting into guys like, we haven't talked about um, Jalen Waddle too much. I mean, he's at, I have him at receiver 20. He's going a little bit earlier than that. You know, the Tyree Kill addition worries me um, in terms of his floor. Um, that could be an interesting dynamic between the two of those, and those two could be closer in targets than we think. Um, they're both really fast players and good route runners. Uh, and then, you know, Rashad Bateman, 
this this Baltimore offense, he's ready for a breakout in terms of his route running uh, per Matt Harmon. And, you know, we saw some production last year as the second, third fiddle, really, to Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And now that Marquise Brown is gone, the question is with, with the Ravens is how much are they going to be able to throw or how much do they want to throw? And I think a lot of that comes down to the running game and how healthy it is. So J.K. Dobbins, there's been some kerfuffle on Twitter with uh, Ian Rappaport and J.K. Dobbins about whether or not Dobbins will be ready for week one. Uh, Rappaport is saying that his source says that he's no sure thing to be ready for week one, whereas Dobbins says for sure he'll be ready for week one. So how healthy are those running backs, Edwards and Dobbins, in, in September will likely drive the the passing volume or drive it down, rushing volume, I guess, uh, for the for the Ravens. And so I wonder about Mark Andrews and, and Bateman, how productive they'll be if the Ravens are successful in going back to 2019 in terms of their passing volume. Uh, they or they're, you know, wanting to run the ball more. So those are the sort of the question marks you get into here. I think Drake Ludnan is being underdrafted. Uh, and you know, you mentioned Abraham to Ross St. Brown. He did all that he had all that production. Uh, with a bunch of injuries around him. So it does sound like they want to run the offense through him. That's what a beat writer said. Um, and he was super productive late last year, wide receiver three. But before that, he wasn't very productive at all. Harmon <clears throat> sold me on Rashad Bateman's breakout year. Uh, we know the Ravens have the fourth most available targets missing from last year's production. So you would think they logically fall into Bateman's lap, but also the fact that he can be a downfield receiver. He he caught nine of 18 targets, 20 plus yards downfield last year. Like he proved he can get open. Also per Matt Harmon's reception perception charting, the elite threshold that you want to cross against man coverage is 70%. And Bateman actually recorded 72.7% success rate against man coverage. So like he can do it all across the field as an alpha that is better at different parts of the field than Marquise Brown was. So I do have Bateman rounding out my top 24 wide receivers at wide receiver 24 exactly. And I do have him above actually Jalen Waddle as my wide receiver 25, your wide receiver 20. And it's because of the volatility you touched on. Five of Waddle's eight top 24 performances last year occurred without Devontae Parker. And I do worry about either Tyreek Hill or Waddle falling well short of their ADP based on who gets jam the targets because the wide back position is not one we want to target when Debo Samuel became a wide back he not only had to depend on scoring a rushing touchdown and for every 10 carries for the 49ers last year he actually averaged two fewer fantasy points per game 21 to 19 in the second half of the season with those carries because he's only getting five targets per game like if Jalen Waddle is the wide back it's not really someone one would target because I also don't believe he has Debo Samuel's one for one talent and so I think he could fall significantly short of where he's being drafted. So I don't have much, but I do understand volatility in that, yes, the bottom could fall out, what I'm predicting, but it means also he could hit ceiling, and Tyreek Hill is the one we're actually overdrafting. So I just keep that in mind moving along. And then also quickly, Darnell Mooney, important to note, 27% target share and Justin Fields' 10 starts last year. That was a team-high target share. And I say all those to say that I have them ranked above DK Metcalf because that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, on one hand, it's a double-edged sword. Metcalf had four touchdowns in five games with Geno Smith, or five touchdowns in four with Geno Smith. And you can say, yes, that's his profile. That's what he should do. But also, like, do we expect that to sustain on a 22% target share what he had from Geno Smith when Tyler Lockett had a 28.4% target share, team high, in that span? And given that they are him and Lockett four to five rounds apart, and we don't know how they'll fare 
from a new quarterback in, in an entirely different season. Uh, that's why I, I don't want to bank on DK Metcalf in this Seattle offense. I don't expect to score many points or touchdowns. Yeah, I've got I got Metcalf at 21 and Lockett at 31. I think Lockett mm-hmm. is one of the best values Same. Uh, at the position. Uh, and I'm not running around trying to draft Metcalf. <clears throat> I think the, the the appealing thing about him is his just his athleticism, and you're expecting him if he if he is playing with Geno Smith, they showed a pretty good rapport last year. Yes, the touchdowns may not be sustainable, but he was basically scoring a touchdown every game with Geno Smith. So if it, even if that drops to half or you know three quarters of a touchdown uh, per game with Geno Smith, that's still pretty pretty good production. Um, I think the concern, you know, for anybody drafting Seattle, not so much Lockett because he's so cheap, uh, you know, wide receiver 47, uh, but Metcalf taking him ahead of some guys here in the middle rounds who we like and we know are going to have pretty good roles is that we don't know who the quarterback is for the Seattle Seahawks. We think it might be Geno Smith at this point, but it could easily be Drew Locke. It could be changed midseason. And that sort of throws a whole wrench into whatever you're sort of projecting these guys for. And it also like, you know, changing quarterbacks midseason is not a good thing to be doing anyway. It's just not good for the offense and the, uh, how, how the offense goes from week to week. So that is the concern with Metcalf. I have moved him up over the last couple of weeks based on the fact that Geno Smith was likely moving ahead or ahead, well ahead of Locke at this point. But I totally understand the concerns. And you're looking at the guys, you know, I have ranked below him, Marquise Brown, Adam Thielen, Darnell Movie, Gabriel Davis, Cortland Sutton, Rashad Bateman. There's some guys that we like in there with a lot of upside. And it's it's wouldn't be too hard to take one of those players over Metcalf and you know, not knowing who the quarterback's going to be. The way I've been treating, you mentioned Drake London earlier because he falls in this range. Uh, the way I've been treating him is I have only been drafting him in best ball leagues in particular when I don't get Kyle Pitts, which is often. We've discussed how egregious I think Pitts' ADP is simply relative to Darren Waller and George Kittle when no one can tell me, no one can guarantee me that Pitts' ceiling is higher than those other two. But really, I've, knowing how few points we expect from Atlanta's offense. Like, I don't think both Pitts and London reach their ADP. Thus, I've been hedging the situation. Like, I've been hedging Renfro, who we'll get to, and Darren Waller. I've been hedging London in situations where I don't get Pitts, thinking, okay, this is the guy that gets there if Pitts fails to miss ADP, since I've already put myself to believe in that situation for me to win my league. A player we haven't talked about at all, though, is Michael Thomas. And I'm curious to get your thoughts where he's at for you because we are concerned about the injury, yes. But we also know in 10 career games without Drew Brees, Thomas actually hasn't had an issue since he's one of the most talented receivers in the league. He's averaged nine and a half targets and 18 and a half fantasy points in those 10 career games. So where do you have Michael Thomas? And is there a tear break there, a jumble of players you would draft him over? I'll answer the Thomas question. I just want to comment on Drake London. There's one thing that on him that, jumps out to me is that I think he's got the highest target floor of any of the rookies this year. I just going into that Atlanta offense, they're going to be bad. They're going to be throwing a lot. Yes. It's Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter, but he's going to see a lot of targets. And so that can like Darnell Mooney that can offset a problem, at quarterback or a problem with the the passing attack. So I, I like him even at his ADP, which is pretty, pretty low wide receiver 37 uh, for a real world wide receiver one. Um, as for Michael Thomas, I, I just did see that news about his recovery being 
on track to get him cleared within camp. So prior to this report, we have not seen anything really positive about his ankle. Um, we've, we've seen some videos of him running routes and jumping on a box. And there've been some very mixed reactions to what, you know, what stage he's at based on where he should be from all the PT guys that I follow on Twitter. And some people would call them fake doctors, but I like to have their their insight as to because these people are actually doing the the physical therapy after injuries with athletes and are watching these athletes recover. Maybe they're not in the room with Michael Thomas, but if Michael Thomas is putting out a video of him jumping on a box, then he's doing it for a reason, and the PT guys are, are free to comment. Um, the news that he might be cleared within camp is is good for obviously for his stock because that probably puts him on track to being fully healthy or near full health by week one now the one question you have of michael thomas is he's been out of football he hasn't played much over the last two you know two seasons he does have a new quarterback with Jameis winston who i actually you know i'm higher on uh than a lot of people i think winston's gonna have a good year um but he does have jarvis landry in the mix now who will always get his six to seven targets per game. And Chris Olave, who we've talked about before, really talented route runner, best route runner of the rookie class, according to Matt Harmon, really bullish on his long-term appeal. So how do these targets shake out if Alvin Kamara is also available to throw the ball to? Does Thomas see that sort of volume that he was seeing when he really didn't have much of a wide receiver two, what much of a wide receiver three, uh, with Drew Brees back in those days, you know, a few years ago. So I have him right now at 36, but I'll be moving him up on this injury news, probably into the lower thirties, you know, right around Tyler Lockett, uh, Amari Cooper guys who know can produce given volume. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to move him up real high until I see more positive reports about that ankle. I do still like drafting him as my perceived wide receiver two in situations where I only get one. Let's say an Austin Eckler or Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry falls to you at the end of the first round and you are inclined to take them and then you miss the boat on the top five or six wide receivers. I am then willing to say, okay, in the you know fifth, fourth round, uh, Michael Thomas is still here. I'm more than willing to take a chance knowing his profile, knowing he has shown that upside. Uh, and treat him as a wide receiver two with a wide receiver one ceiling. So that's when I kind of break the bank for him, especially because the next group of wide receivers we get into, uh, the Elijah Moores, Christian Kurtz, Devonta Smith, Tyler Boyd, you mentioned Chris Olave, Chase Claypool even. Like, there's so much question surrounding all of them about their surrounding cast. Um, you know, Elijah Moore, everyone loves him. I, I love his talent, but last year it literally boiled down to is Corey Davis playing or not? Because if Corey Davis was playing Elijah Moore, you practically couldn't play him. Um, he averaged two fewer catches per game, five and a half to three and a half and five more fantasy points per game, actually um, 16 and a half to 11.3 and three starts without with and without Corey Davis. So having added Garrett Wilson, this group now like I don't I don't know if Elijah Moore can can withstand like two more wide receivers surrounding him it comes down entirely to Zach Wilson's development um you know same for DeAndre Hopkins this is the range where people start asking do I want to draft and stash him as a high floor possession receiver on my bench for the first six weeks 
Uh, any thoughts on the players I mentioned, plus like your other wide receiver threes you're keeping in mind? Yeah, one comment on Thomas. He's currently wide receiver 40. You can get mm. him in the seventh round. Now, I think that's going to change here with this last report, but you know, you're able to get him right now as your wide receiver three or four. That's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, like, that's, that's, I think is totally fair. Um, yeah. Elijah Moore really showed well in, in the, in the route running per Harmon. A uh, lot of upside there. But this is still, <laughs> this is still the Jets. Um, Zach Wilson doesn't inspire a ton of confidence that he's going to make that second year leap. He might, uh, but there wasn't a whole lot as a rookie to really look at him and, and say, okay, he's going to now be leading a really prolific Jets offense. That's going to be able to support Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, um, you know, Brees Hall as a running back uh, and Corey Davis as a third receiver. And your split about Davis and, and Moore is, is pretty interesting because it does seem like Wilson favored Davis when they were both playing. The, the one thing that, um, was encouraging about Elijah Moore. You know, there, there was not a great rapport with Wilson early on, but he did get targeted 20 times by Wilson in the final two games back, which I, I would assume uh, Davis missed. He had a 32.3% target share, uh, four for 46 on eight targets and six for 77 on a, and a touchdown on 12 targets. So that bodes well, but if Davis was out, that sort of throws, you know, that stat, into some, you know, some question. I mean, 32.3 target share would be wonderful if it were to carry over. Um, and then we're getting into that range where these, you know, you're starting to look at some of these real world wide receiver ones that are starting to dry up and you get some high upside wide receiver twos or guys that have some pre pretty good floor. A couple of guys you didn't mention, Christian Kirk, I think with Jacksonville, um, side the big side the big contract has a up and coming uh, quarterback. If you believe in Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson and that marriage, then I think you should invest in in, in Christian Kirk because he's going quite late. He's going in the mid forties, I believe. ADP. I've got him at forty, right below Russell Gage, uh, who whose his ADP has really taken off uh, lately. I, you know, I worry a little bit about Russell Gage back half of the season if Godwin comes back healthy. Uh, and then he's going to be the third receiver there. Is he going to be able to support his ADP, which is shot up into the sixth round? Um, so that's a little that's a little expensive for me. Um, but like a like a Kirk as your receiver four, that appeals to me. He's not the greatest route runner in the world, but he's good in the slot. And you know he's got Marvin Jones. He's sort of dealing with, but that's you know there's not a whole lot of receiver talent in that offense. You know Evan Ingram got signed. Um, but he's not a lot of competition. And they obviously gave him a contract thinking that he could be their, you know, their pseudo wide receiver one. So I think he's a good value there. Chris Olave, love his talent. You got Tyler Boyd going really late. Um, finished top 30 last year. And the thing I like about Boyd is that, I mean, you can get him really late, but these, these talented number three receivers are interesting. He's tied to a really good quarterback. He has double the the injury upside. So if anything were to happen to either Chase or Higgins, all of a sudden Boyd is your number two receiver in the Cincy offense, and he's an every week start. So you're you know you're able to get him wide receiver four, wide receiver five, some drafts. Uh, that's that's appealing to me. Boyd also, I don't think will provide weekly production barring an injury like you mentioned, but 
and projected shootouts, right? Like when the Chiefs play the or when the Bengals play the Chiefs, for instance, uh, those are games where and the Bills in Week 17. Those are games where I can imagine you would want to start him since it is higher projected scoring affairs. Uh, say the only difference is like with Tim Patrick going in that range, as we mentioned, we expect Tim Patrick to start, whereas we know Tyler Boyd won't start. So that's why I do like and prefer Tim Patrick. Um, any thoughts on? Well, the one, one, one other thing I'd add on Boyd is if he does have a good cornerback matchup in the slot, that's another thing you can look at. So if he's playing a bad slot corner and, and you, you think that since he's smart, they'll go after that slot corner a little bit. I have noticed that that happens. Um, sometimes it's not always, it's not foolproof, but that's another situation where maybe it's not as a high scoring game, but he's got a good matchup in the slot. I'll also note like Robert Woods is your wide receiver 33 in projections. And while I agree with you in that range, he doesn't really have the ADP at either underdog or FFPC, uh, home leagues, especially, I think you'll be able to get him around this range around wide receiver 50. I think he will be a tremendous value. And so just remember Robert Woods, who can potentially, as you mentioned, showed his ceiling already, can potentially lead the Titans and targets quite easily over Traylon Burks, since Burks's projection and profile are extremely volatile. Like there is no guarantee playing only nine snaps against man coverage last year. There's no guarantee Burks can succeed from week one in the NFL. He may take an entire year to develop, especially after missing mini camp. We'll have to see during training camp how we develop. So definitely keep Robert Woods in mind in this range. But also in this range, we have just like Tyler Boyd, just like Tim Patrick, some more wide receiver threes, uh, Chase Claypool. We mentioned Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Kadarius Toney has shown us, a, even though it was just a flash, a wide receiver one profile. And your projections, as well as my tiers, are also higher on Chase Claypool. Even though I do want to mention, and I wrote this in the Steelers team pro- team preview on the site, uh, Claypool, like the common thought is that he's just going to easily bounce back since Ben Rosberger takes all the accountability for Claypool catching just 19 of 54 targets the past two years, 20 plus yards downfield. But we also we keep in mind like Claypool is also accountable for that because he only hauled in in that span eight of 25 contested catches. Like as a larger frame with explosive profile, he is a developing receiver and he has not been able to develop in contested catches just yet. And so it is certainly possible that the that the that nothing changes, right? Like the 56% catch rate, everything he's produced since his numbers essentially match each other, except in touchdowns, 11 his first year, just two last year. The other surrounding counting stats just mirror again in year three because he fails to develop. Having said that, knowing his profile, I am willing to be much higher on him in line with your projections just in case he hits, especially around the 104 ADP. Like his ceiling is the type of player I want to chase in that range. Yeah, and he's, I guess I have him a few spots ahead of his ADP. He's going wide receiver 50. And I've got him at 45 right now. And I'm looking at the guys going below him. And, you know, I think coming out of his rookie season, I think we were, I think everybody was a lot more bullish on Claypool. And then heading into his, you know, third season now, I'm a little worried about him um, because he, he didn't, he didn't improve much as a route runner. I think he actually got a little worse. I have to double check Matt's numbers. Uh, but Matt was not like bullish on his development as a, in a second season. So that's a little concerning. The other concern is they drafted George Pickens and Calvin Austin. So why are the Steelers, 
why are they drafting two receivers? I know they lost Juju Smith-Schuster and Ray Ray McLeod, right? Um, but are they worried about Claypool or are they, you know, just drafting some depth at receiver? Um, so both those guys are very, you know, productive in college. And I think uh, specifically Austin's uh, route running was charted pretty well at reception perception as well. And I think I think what Matt was saying was that Claypool would probably be best served to be a big slot. Um, and I don't know if that's in the cards or what, what the Steelers are planning to do with him there. So he does have that upside as a young developing receiver, We but we have a new quarterback and we've got two new receivers added to that mix. As so you just wonder what the Steelers are thinking about Claypool uh, after drafting Pickens and Austin. What about, you know, I know you were higher on Alan Lazard. Uh, Kadarius Toney has also his ADP has been steamed as people have been getting significantly higher on him as a potential leader in targets for the giants. Where do you stand on these players as we round out our top 50? Yeah. For my Packers, you know, thinking about them and what was likely to happen is that I just don't have anyone slated for really a big yardage year. I think the ball is going to be spread around. Uh, we're probably going to have some players miss time with injury of Sammy Watkins. You have Randall Cobb, um, you, and you've got rookies that are going to be developing over the course of the season. So if they do develop, they may get more playing time, you know, towards the end of the year, you've got Robert Tanyan back. Um, so I, I really think this is, is going to be a spread it around offense. Lazard has a chance to, you know, Rogers has talked about Lazard as his wide receiver one. So with the quarterback talking like that, you would think that he would see a, a pretty significant jump in his targets, whether or not Lazard's able to, respond and produce is you know questionable uh we haven't seen him do it on a consistent basis thus far in his career he looks like he is probably a real world number two or three um i think he's a really good run blocker so that's you know that might bump him up a, a little bit when you're looking at depth charts and stuff but um is he going to be able to take the take on the other team's best cornerback win and get open I think that's very questionable. I don't think Rodgers is going to force him the ball like he could force Devontae Adams the ball, knowing that Devontae was going to win the route and eventually get open or just catch the contested catch if he's not open. Um, I do think Lazard has the advantage of all the guys in, in Green Bay because of where he's sitting right now. It does seem like he's sitting atop that depth chart. I just don't see a 1,000, 1,100-yard season uh, in his range of outcomes, although he could catch double-digit touchdowns without too much trouble. Uh, Kadarius Tony, um, speak on one... Tony oh. and Kenny Galladay because Kenny Galladay is fifty-five in your projections. Tony fifty, and I guess given safer targets underneath from the slot, Kadarius Tony makes sense as the higher projected player. But also, you know, it's been two years now since we've seen it from Kenny Galladay, but he still has the the red zone profile of a player that could lead this team in touchdowns and thus shoot past his ADP. Yeah, I think Galladay is really volatile and didn't play well at all last year, and uh, the charting was poor on him. Uh, the interesting thing about Tony is that he's not a particularly good route runner, according to Harmon, but he can win in certain spots and just needs to have a coaching staff that is going to put him in a role that suits his skill set. And the nice thing for him is that we're going – from Jason Garrett and whoever else they had running the offense last year. And now we got Brian Dayball and he's got a good reputation. 
So is he is he the guy that can unlock Tony and get him into a really good role where he can produce? I mean, he's had some good games. He was targeted quite a bit whenever he was on the field. I think he was fifth in um, targets per route run, uh, which is, you know, that's obviously great. Um, and then he was uh, 11th in yards per route run. Uh, and that's amongst the 105 receivers with at least 38 targets. So whenever he was on the field, he was getting targeted and he was producing. And just the question is, you know, do they force him into a role that's not suited for him? But it seems like, you know, the offensive minds there should be improved and maybe he should be bumped up a little bit and Galladay bumped down. Cause I'm just not real bullish on, on Kenny Galladay right now in his career. Are there fringe top 50 receivers in your projections that you are more bullish on? Uh, Sky Moore is a name that I wrote about in the Chiefs team preview in depth that I'm lower on than ADP, but a lot of intelligent people are very high on him. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, again, for redraft leagues, it's a different approach than best ball, but comes in this range in your projections. And also Robbie Anderson, for example, getting the Baker Mayfield bump, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Robbie Anderson's been... He's had a funny offseason, but, uh, you know, to talk about the guys you mentioned, I think that the KC situation, and I, I don't have a great feel for how this is all going to shake, shake out. I mean, I might be looking back at Juju at 34 and thinking, wow, why was I so high on that? Or maybe why was I so low on that? Uh, we just don't know where these targets are going to go. We know Kelsey's the one constant at offense. And then after that, what what are we going off of? We're going off of Juju Smith-Schuster from a few years ago. He's still young, doesn't have a great route running profile, but can win in the slot. Maybe he gets the most. We have uh, beat reporters saying that Marquez Valdez-Scantling was easily the the most impressive receiver at, at minicamp, or they're not they don't have pads on or whatever they're doing at minicamp. But he's got outstanding speed, uh, apparently showing a great rapport with Patrick Mahomes. And then we have Sky Moore who fared really well in, in the reception perception route running uh, charting. He was a guy that I wanted the Packers to try to nab uh, ended up going, I think ninth among the receivers in this class, which was a little surprising, but he's from a smaller school. Uh, so didn't have the level of competition as some of these other guys, but you also have Nicole Hartman. So who's going to be the third receiver? You know, we think that it's going to be Juju and, Valdez Scantling due to the money that they spent on those guys. And then who's going to be out there? Is this Hardman going to be in the same role where he's, you know, sharing time with last year, sharing time with Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. And it's going to be Sky Moore and, and Hardman. Cause if that's the case, Moore is a lot better route runner. He's maybe not quite as fast, but he's still four, four or something. Um, I have some ups, you know, I have some, I think Moore has some upside this year. I wonder how quickly he's going to work his way into the starting lineup and get that sort of that snap share that we want. And I think with Hopkins, you know, last year I had him ranked, you know, lower on a weekly basis because he just was not seeing the target share that he saw the previous year. And, uh, I don't know what he's going to come back to. Um, you know, I think he's better than AJ green at this point. Um, but is he better than Marquise Brown? I don't know. Uh, and they, and they do force the ball to Rondale Moore when he's on the field. So, I think he's a, a decent pick, but you're going to have to sit on him for six weeks. And are you willing to just sort of sacrifice that roster spot um, to get Hopkins for this back half of the season? I don't know where he's going ADP wise. I haven't, um, I haven't drafted him. I don't think at all. So I don't know if he's been 
uh, going off the board earlier than that. But that's a tough. It depends on the league and whether or not you have an IR spot that'll take a guy who's suspended or whatever. But or how big the bench is. But it's just hard to sit on if you have a 16 or 18, you know, player league. It's hard to uh, hard to sit on a player for six weeks. Yeah, I think it's easier in uh FFPC like a football guys championship draft for instance where you have deep benches or if you have a 10 player bench in a home league that's where it's easier to sit on those guys um but that's what I wanted to get your opinion on it because the conversation is completely different in best ball for instance you said you didn't know uh DeAndre Hopkins is actually being drafted in the 6th round in best ball for example because that's a format that allows you like as your wide receiver four to sit on him for six weeks and not worry about it because you're usually drafting eight or nine receivers anyhow. So it's a totally different argument since you're not worried about eating those missed points. But in this range beyond the top 50, the two players that stand out for me, and I'm only speaking in terms of your redraft leagues thinking, okay, how do I get points in this range? Because these other guys, like we have to sit on and wait, but like, the first month of the season, I think players you could potentially plug and play are Devontae Parker, who I think is talent, or at least his production, what he's shown us in his career is overblown since he has failed to finish inside the top 42 at his position in fantasy points per game um, since like 2019, playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that second half of the season without Preston Williams is like the only reason he got that contract to begin with from Miami, but still back-to-back years with at least 7.3 targets per game. So he has shown us like he can lead quite easily the Patriots in targets, and that is an offense that if you take away that tornado game on Monday night against the Bills where they only threw three times, Mac Jones did actually average 32 pass attempts per game in every other surrounding contest. I also think KJ Osborne is one that could quietly provide weekly value. We saw last year in six games that he played at least 80% of Minnesota snaps, he averaged six targets per game. And we expect Minnesota to play significantly more 11 personnel this year. And so KG Osborne is a player I've also been coming away with practically in every single draft. Yeah, I can see that with Minnesota is probably trending up with their pass attempts. Uh, they do have Irv Smith at tight end, which you would think, uh, or he's a, he's a popular breakout candidate. Um, so you know, four four miles to feed there, plus Dalvin Cook in the in the passing game. I think it's I think it's viable. And then Osborne is a guy that if a Thiel, if Thielen or Jefferson gets dinged up, we were you know we were talking about Boyd uh, having that dual injury upside. I think the same thing goes for for Osborne in that offense, where all of a sudden you have an every week starter if one of those two players goes down. Um, as far as New England. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, you know, Jacoby Myers is probably the number one receiver and he doesn't really score touchdowns. Uh, Kendrick Bourne does score touchdowns, but he barely gets used uh, based on his efficiency. Like he should be getting more targets than he's getting. Uh, They've added Devontae Parker, who is not a very good route runner, but really good at contested catches. So do you see him maybe in the red zone uh, becoming more of a factor? Uh, And then they obviously have Hunter Henry at, at tight end as their top tight end. I think that's a tough it's a tough offense to really pin down who's going to do what. And they've been doing it for years now. They they just have had a bunch of, you know, okay to good players and spreading the ball around. And I don't remember a receiver there since Randy Moss, that was really, uh, you know, a stud receiver that you could really count on every, every week. Um, So I I don't get it. I'm not getting excited about Parker. Um, I think Myers is probably the best of the bunch in PPR formats. And then if you're in a standard league, I probably would go with Bourne 
uh, to be honest, just because he was so productive on a per touch basis. I also quickly want to mention before kicking it to you for, for your final receivers outside the top 50 that you want to be higher on. Uh, I want to make sure I mention Josh Palmer, who started ahead of Jalen Guyton in three wide sets in minicamp. So something to monitor during training camp, since of course we want any receiver, starting receiver, especially attached to Justin Herbert. And then also Marvin Jones gets knocked, even though he was a Jacksonville's only player from Trevor Lawrence with double digits targets, 20 plus yards downfield. And he not only had double digit, he had 23. Like he was the only guy Marvin Jones was throwing to. Of course, we have Zay Jones and Christian Kirk now paid, who Christian Kirk especially can take away from that role. But Jones' profile is basically poor man's Kenny Galladay and that, of course, he can lead the team in receiving touchdowns and he's just completely forgotten about behind Christian Kirk. So I, I still like making sure I have and stash Marvin Jones just in case he does have a, a larger role in this offense. And then finally, the last one I'll mention, because it depends entirely on what happens with Deshaun Watson, is Donovan Peoples-Jones, who averaged over five targets per game and eight starts without Odell Beckham last year. But his profile... You know, he accrued 29% of his targets, 20-plus yards downfield as well. Like, that doesn't matter from Jacoby Brissett, who even from a clean pocket, as I wrote in my Browns team preview, averaged five and a half yards per attempt. Like, to get there, Donovan Peoples-Jones, even as like an undrafted player, like a 17th, 18th round player, you have to have Deshaun Watson. But I, I'm okay with that because I know his ceiling at Deshaun Watson does play. And that kind of rounds out like the top 70 for me. Yeah, and I would add that David Bell, really good route runner uh, as well. I think he or Peoples-Jones will be viable if Deshaun Watson is playing. I, I just don't know about this offense with Jacoby Brissett under, I, uh, under center. Bell can have a floor. It may not may not be a high floor. It may be just like an inch off the ground. But uh, Bell can have a floor with Brissett, assuming that he plays the slot. He can be dumped off to. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I genuinely think, like, will not do anything if it's Brissett under center. Yeah, and a couple a couple other, or one other situation that you didn't mention, um, guys going outside the top 50, you know, Jalen Tolbert, uh, James, James Washington, and then obviously Michael Gallup. So Michael Gallup, similar situation to, you know, Chris Godwin coming off the ACL injury, you know, when are we going to get him back? Um Second half of the season can really help you. Another deep bench guy who you might take a discount on and, and be able to get some good games out of Godwin or Gallup later from you know drafting him later in the dra draft. I know that Godwin's been going way early in drafts, way earlier than I would take him. Um, but that third, second, third receiver in Dallas is pretty important. So looking at Tolbert and uh, James Washington, I want to see in camp who's shining because whoever that player is will still be you know in the mix for a lot of snaps once Gallup comes back and you know the drop in snaps usually from that wide receiver three to wide receiver four is pretty steep so you know Washington was I believe the Blitnikoff winner in college and he had a good year with uh, the Steelers before they drafted uh, Deontay and Claypool I believe um, and then just kind of fell out of favor in Pittsburgh he can produce when he gets, he's getting run and he's getting snaps and he's getting targets. But that competition with him and Tolbert, who did well in the route running charting over at Reception Perception, in that offense with Dak Prescott, very interested to see. I've got Tolbert higher right now than Washington. You can, I think Washington's basically free. Um, I think people are expecting Tolbert to win that 
maybe number three job, you know, I mean, right now it's going to be at the start of the season, it's going to be all, it's going to be both of them are going to be playing. It's just who's going to be remaining in the starting lineup once uh, Michael Gallup comes back. James Washington initially was not free early on, but then had the boot on his foot during minicamp and couldn't participate. So his ADP fell significantly. Jalen Tolbert also suffered an injury. So that's definitely a situation where I'm monitoring for camp. But if everything looks clear, Tolbert's the one I want to be significantly higher on. Sort of like Cedric Wilson last year following week one, whenever Michael Gallup initially got injured. Uh, I will treat that situation the same and drafting Tolbert late. And then maybe, you know, if you put in a deeper league, Washington too. Yeah, I just want to mention Marvin Jones because he's, you know, there's three things in life, death taxes and Marvin Jones outplaying his ADP. <laughs> That's just basically been the truth since, he, you know, for the last five or six, seven years. And yeah, I think he he's older, but uh, still is a pretty good value no matter where he's being drafted right now. And finally, it's tough because it varies given everyone's draft position. But really, like ideally, big picture, how are you handling the wide receiver position this year? Are you looking to grab, make sure you have one of those players in the top tier, your top four, five, six guys you mentioned at the top of the show? Would you prefer to get a top four running back instead and then rattle off in that receiver value of tiers you mentioned earlier? How are you handling it? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm approaching it in a similar way as years past, I'm probably not as um, determined to get a second running back in the first two rounds or second running back in the first three rounds, uh, because I do think there is some depth at the running back position uh, in those middle rounds. Like it's, it's more appealing in the fifth, sixth round than it ever has been, or at least it has been that I can remember in the last five years. I just think that when you look at the receivers available third to sixth, third to seventh round, you can really put together an appealing upside receiving core in that with that group of you know within that group of rounds and add that to maybe a hero rb approach with a tight you know a stud tight end in the second round or even if you went running back running back that you hit receiver for about four rounds um you might have to play some games at tight end but you can get a michael pittman uh a mclaurin or a robinson in the fourth round uh, a Brandon Cooks then in the fifth round, or maybe even the sixth round, a Darnell Mooney in the sixth or seventh round. Um, you can get some really high target productive players with that group. And you're getting this receiving core now that has the upside to sort of match what some of these zero RB folks are trying to do by drafting, you know, three or four running uh, receivers right, you know, straight off the board. Um, so I think that's how I'm going to approach it. I have to start getting into some of these drafts uh, a little bit more and sort of see which uh, RB2s I'm comfortable with there in the fifth, sixth round? Am I getting the guys I want? Uh, because if you don't and you're starting to play RB2 by committee, which is okay, that makes you a little uncomfortable coming out of the draft. But it's okay to do that, especially in redraft formats where you can play the waiver wire and, and do some of that. And with that, I am pragmatic. I completely agree with you. I think it depends entirely on your draft position. But I am more inclined to make sure I come away with Everyone would take Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey one and two for the most part anyways. But I am more inclined to take Austin Eckler, Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook as well, and then grab receivers from that point forward, especially the values we mentioned below their ADP, which we actually have above ADP per our projections, which remember, you can get at the site using the promo code 444 underdog. So until then, 
Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with our running back summit, the final positional breakdown before we then start getting training camp news and jumping back every single week and discussing how we're jostling and how we are reacting accordingly to our projections, our best ball tiers, our team previews based on training camp and preseason games. So until then, thank you everyone for joining. Please rate and review the podcast as everyone has done so kindly actually over the past month. We will see you next time.